So we we know next week on uh, you know next week uh, on Shabbat is erev Pesach, and then Saturday night Motzei Shabbat starts Pesach. <clears throat> so what I wanted to speak about it's probably going to take it's going to be more than this session. It'll go into next week also, but uh, you know what Pesach really is, and you know most people focus on Pesach as a historical event. Now, the historical event is what? You know, where the Jews are slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and it's really terrible slavery. And, of course, you have Moshe Rabbeinu, who is now assigned by the Rabbeinu Shalom, by God, to take them out. And, of course, we know that he appears to Parai, and Parai, you know, says what he means, I'm not going to let him go, who's God, and so on. Uh, so finally, in the end, God, of course, afflicts the Egyptians with Esimakot, ten uh, plagues, whatever you want to call them, and um, they finally are released. They go into the desert, and ultimately, of course, they come to the mountain of God, and they receive the Torah. Uh, and that, obviously, is the historical event. You know, in English, it's called the Exodus, or the Yitziat Mitzrayim, the, the uh, exodus from Egypt, and so on. <clears throat> but the truth is, you know, Pesach is, in many ways, the foundation, or it represents the fabric, the structure of the entire creation. And Pesach really represents the battle, the struggle of the Jewish people and in a certain sense of all mankind. And that's what I want to go into. And once you understand that, you understand the halachot. The halachot is, of course, there's chometz. You cannot eat chometz, which is, uh, you know, uh, leavened bread, that's what it's called. Of any of the five grains, you cannot, of course, you must eat matzah, which is the reverse of these five grains that has not fermented. Then, of course, you have moror, you know. Then you have, of course, the uh, four cups that we drink. We have the fifth cup, which, of course, is the cup of Elio. You see, we have the Korban Pesach. There are many things going, many halachot of Pesach itself. So the question, of course, is, you know, what's the logic of these mitzvot? And the truth is, these mitzvot really represent the whole understanding, the underlying concept of the event itself. So that's what I want to go into. You know, you have all kinds of ideas and what's called the Yiddish Vatlach words, uh, you know, little short vaytera, a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, But as I usually do, I want to give you a much greater understanding, a much deeper understanding of what really is going on, including the mitzvot, the mitzvahs of Pesach itself. So, in order to understand that, uh, I will cover certain topics, and ultimately you will understand what Pesach is really all about. <clears throat> now, there are certain ideas uh, which I had mentioned briefly, which has to be repeated, because they are very, very fundamental 
to what is going on. And I had mentioned that there are, so far, there are basic realities, okay? The first reality is called God. He is reality unto himself. He, God himself, created a second reality, and that is a reality called the Nishama, soul. Now, the soul is the greatest creation of God. And it's not only the greatest creation, but, but the Nishama is what's called Zulato, other. Now, we don't know who God is in essence, but we do know that the greatest creation of God is the Nishama. So we could say there's God and there's an other, and that other is the Nishama. So that is the second reality. The third reality I had mentioned is the reality called Ruchnius, or spirituality. And that is the reality of what? You know, of all the angels, of all the worlds, the different, uh, you know, worlds that he created, and so on, you see. So you have those three realities. You have God, you have the Neshama, soul, and you have the spiritual reality, and all the residents of that reality, you see. Now, the essence of what God wants is the following. What he does is he creates another reality called a physical reality, and that's the reality of Geshem, physical. And he takes the Neshama, which is the greatest reality, and he inserts it into a physical body. And that physical body will now serve as a barrier for that Nishama to experience the spiritual realities and even experience God, you see. So that's the fourth reality, is the reality of the Geshem, the physical universe. Now, that would be okay, you see. And what God wants, you see, is that this Nishama should dematerialize or de-physicalize, I want to use that word, the physical body, which is the barrier, and remove its being an obstacle, and then the neshama will then experience the spiritual reality, and then after the spiritual reality, the neshama will experience itself, who and what it really is. So those are the realities God creates. However, <clears throat> What God also created was another reality, a fifth reality. And that reality is an opposite to spiritual. It is called the Sitra Akra. Sitra Akra means the other side. There's a Sitra Tikidusha. Sitra means side, the side of holiness. Okay. And then there's a Sitra Akra, the other side. <clears throat> Now, that other side reality is very important, you see, because not only is it a blockage like the physical reality, but it's worse, you see. It will block, okay, and also influence mankind to go against the will of God. But it, in the beginning, it's not part of man, you see. So what God does is he takes the Nishama and puts it into a, basically a physical reality. 
And what he wants is mankind to purify the body that it no longer serves as an obstacle, you see, and to bring down the energy of tremendous divine emanations called the Svirot. However, if man does not do the will of God, that's if he does the will of God. If man does not do the will of God, so then he can actually create, or what the, the word is to uh, empower the world of the Sitra Akhra, you see. So therefore man can go do one of two things. Either he can bring down a certain Ruchnia, spiritual reality, which is the emanations of the Svirot, and that will dematerialize the body, <clears throat> so he will draw closer to his true reality, which is the reality of the Nishama. Or, if he doesn't do the will of God, then what he will do is empower the Sitra Akhra. And that Sitra Akhra, when it gets more powerful, okay, that will block that person from experiencing spirituality. And it's up to man, you see. And that's what God wants. So initially what he does is, is, listen, your job is to remove physicality. However, if you sin, which means to go against the will of God, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> so not only will you not remove the physicality, but you make it worse. You will empower a different reality called the Sitrakra, and that, of course, will be much worse for you. And that reality has a lot of bad things connected to it. One of them, of course, is, is death. In any case, and this is what man does. So God takes the nishama and puts it into a physical body. That's Adam Horishon, the first man. But that physical body is not connected to the world of the Satan. And it's up to man. Now, what God does is he makes, therefore, the two realities. One is the Sitra de Kedusha, which is the side of holiness, and the other is the Sitra Akhra, which I mentioned. And on both of them, he, God himself is in charge of the Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness, and on the side of, of the uh, Akhra, on the side of Tumah, he assigns a Malach, the Satan, he is the chief of that reality, you see. And each of those realities are identical in the sense that they have whatever one has, the other has also. Now, in the Sitra de Kedusha, in the reality of holiness, right, there are four worlds of holiness, and they different levels of spirituality. The highest world is called Atsilut, okay? Then there's a world after that called Bria, world of creation, and then Yetzirah, world of formation, and Asiyah, a world of um, action. So these four worlds are the worlds of the uh, of Geshem, so to speak, but they are the worlds of the holiness. Now on the other side, is the exact opposite. There are also four worlds. Now we know this because in Kohelet it says, Ze ze, this parallel to this, also Elohim, God made. 
Now, I mentioned the four worlds of the Sitra, the Kiddusha, but the Sitra Akra also has four worlds. And they differ from one another in the depth of the concealment of the Divine Presence. Okay. And they are represented by four different terms. The first time we encounter the four worlds of the Satan is in the Chumash. In the Chumash it says, right, in the beginning God created Shemayim, the heavens, and the earth. And the heavens refers to the Sitra de Kiddusha, the reality of holiness. And Horetz refers to the reality of Satan, or Tum'ah. Now then it says, Horetz says, Soyu vavoyu, Soyu is unformed, Voyu is empty, and then Chushech, darkness, on the face of the deep, which is the ocean. You see, so the first time we encounter these four uh, worlds of Tum'ah is these four expressions. Toyu, Voyu, Chushech, and Tahoim. You see, and they really are the terms for the four worlds of the Satan. And that's really what there is. You see, now, they're also referred to in Yechezkel. We know in Yechezkel there's a Maisim Rekovo. There was a vision or a prophecy that he had. We had a divine vision. And that vision, right, in order to, what he was doing is he had an ultimate vision of a chariot. And, on the, and what was driving the chariot was God. But in order to get to that vision, it said that he, has to, he had to pass through four different types of realities, you see. One was a reality called Onan Godel, a great cloud. Then Ruach Saora, a stormy wind. Eishmas Lakachas is a fiery fire, striking fire. And then Noiga, some brilliant light. And those four terms, Yechezkel, again refer to the Sitra Akhra, the four worlds of the Satan. So that is the second terms of the same thing as we find in the Chumash. Now what is the difference between these realities of the Satan? And the answer is that each one has a greater and greater, or causes a greater and greater concealment of the Divine Presence. Okay, <clears throat> So, the, the greatest uh, concealment of the Divine Presence, or I should say, in a certain sense, going from bottom to top, is where evil and, uh, evil and good dominate in the same environment. So there's a tremendous confusion, you see. And that corresponds, right, soyu corresponds to soyu, which is mixture. Then the second environment, which increases in evil, is when good is empty, and basically there is basically just bad, and that's voyu, emptiness. The third environment of evil is when there's an alternative understanding of reality, which is against God. And the fourth, okay, and that's choshech, darkness, and the fourth reality of the Satan is called, okay, is called 
Sahim, the deep, and that is that this third reality is spread all over, all over the world. So we have these four levels of Tum'ah, or what's called Kripa. All these are the four worlds of the Satan, <clears throat> you see. <clears throat> and in truth, which is interesting, uh, they represent the four nations, kingdoms, that the Jews had to go through. You had the kingdom of Babylon, which is the lowest. And Babylon represented the lowest world of the Satan, where there's good and evil. Because the good in Babylon, in Bovel, was that it was a spiritual country. The problem was, it was filled with Zorah, right? But it was still spiritual. So there's a tremendous confusion here, you see, where you have Avod uh, Zorah on the bad side, but the Avod Zorah is spiritual, that mankind recognizes that there is a spiritual reality. So that's Bovel, Babylon. Greece, or I should say Persia, Persia was a place that was really devoid of really anything good. It was a tremendous material place. It was empty of real good. And that's the reality, of course, of Persia. That's Haman and so on. The next reality is a reality where there's an entirely different alternative understanding, which is devoid of God, and that's Greece. So Greece was Choshech, and Rome, which took Greek science and culture and spread it all around the world. And that, of course, is the, uh, the reality of the Tahoim, the deep, deep waters, and so on. Uh, so those nations represent, actually, the different environments of evil. Now remember, this is a very important concept, that there are two realities. There's a reality, right, of Ruchnius, spirituality, and there is a reality of Tumor, right, of evil. And that's what God wants. He wants two different types of realities to exist, you see. Now, Geshem, physicality, is not Tumor. It is merely a different substance. It's the opposite of Ruchnius. Physicality is the opposite of spirituality, but it is not in itself evil or defiled, pollution, tumor, you see. So what he wants is to take the, the nishama and to encase it into a physical body, and that physical body will now be a blockage. It will conceal the reality of spirituality, of ruchnius. And God wants this nishama to choose. Do you want to undo the reality of physicality and change physicality into spirituality? Or do you want to increase the reality of Tum'ah and therefore the physical body will now be bathed in Tum'ah, in the, uh, the evil itself, and so on. And that's called uh, Zoyama. Zoyama is the projection of the Satan which is tumor, defilement. And it's up to the neshama. Therein are the two realities. <clears throat> and I once mentioned, which is very important, therefore that the purpose of man was initially, Adam Horishan, was to increase the ruchnius, right, by 
transforming the physical reality into a spiritual. And therefore, he would increase the Ruchnius. However, when Adam Harishan sinned, he increased the reality of Tumah, and man fell into a universe or became not merely physical, but he became physical with evil invested or pervading his physical body. And that's one of the reasons why death, there are many physical manifestations of that. Now the problem, therefore, now becomes first, you have to get rid of the Zoyamo in the physical body before you can transform the physical into the spiritual, you see. And therefore, this is the first task, is to rid the body of, a, of, of an Zoyamo, which is the evil, the Satan, Satanic influence. And then once you become Geshem, physical, without that, then you can begin to retransform the physical into a spiritual. And that's what I mentioned, <clears throat> that the first idea for thousands of years we have been involved in removing Tum'ah from ourselves, right, and uh, getting rid of that out of the human body. And then the Messianic era is when we begin to work on the physicality, because there's no more Zoyama, especially after Tchiyas Amazon, re- resurrection of the dead. There is no more Zoyama. We are merely physical, we are nishamot, souls in a physical body. And the idea is to remove the physical body and retransform the physical into a spiritual. And that will take time, right? And you go from one world to the next world, you know, for the sixth or after Adam Rishon, the first six, almost 6,000 years removes the Zoyama, right? The spirit, the Tumor, and then from the 6,000 to 7,000, right? Removes physicality and brings this into the Oilam Yitzira. And then from 7 to 8, brings us into the reality called Bria. So we become more and more spiritual. We actually become like angels. And then from 8 to 9, right? It removes the phys- the uh, the Geshem, uh, where of Atsilas, and then from 9,000 and on is the beginning of Olam Haba. And that is no longer the reality either of the Zoyama. That's gone. But it is not even the reality of Geshem, physicality, which was the original setup that God wanted. And now, from the 9,000th year and on, right, this is after 6,000 years, we have 7, 8, 9, from 9,000 and on, we now live in a reality called Ilum Habo, which is the Neshama in its pure state. It is neither, it, it, neither, it neither has Tumor, and it doesn't even have Keshem. It's pure. Whatever, we, whatever it is, we don't know what the pure nature of the Neshama is, you see. And that begins from the 9,000th year. We now understand something very fundamental, and that is that we have two different struggles. The first struggle is to remove the Zoyama because it was introduced because of the sins of man. Very important idea. He introduced a new struggle, a new test. He introduced the world of Tumor, the world of Sitra Akra, 
into the physical reality. So we have to remove that. And the second thing we have to remove is once we've gotten rid of that, which is in the Messianic era, that's the resurrection of the dead, we now can begin to remove Geshem, the physical reality, and begin to change physical reality into spiritual. That is a very good bird's eye view of the entire what's called Odom operation of mankind, specifically the operation of the Jewish people. That's what it is in a nutshell. Now, uh, however, for most of man's history in this world, other than the five, uh, five or six hours of Odom region, we have been struggling with the lowest reality, which is the reality of the Satan, Tumor, defilement. And we have been trying to remove that reality, you see. And that reality is where his uh, projection of his Tumor, that is called Zoyama, pervades the entire physical universe, you see. And we have been struggling to remove that. You see, because we have to do that first in order to move on to the next reality, which is to remove or minimize or retransform the physical universe. And that happens in the Messianic era, you see. So that's basically been the history of man, you see. Now, that has been, as I say, a tremendous progression in history, you see. Most of the time, unfortunately... We have increased the power of the Tatan, you see. And the way we do that is very interesting, you see. How do we either retransform a physical universe into a spiritual? How do we do that? Or vice versa, how do we empower the Satan to become much more powerful by changing different environments, which I mentioned, <clears throat> or giving, giving uh, nations of the world power over the Jews, which represent holiness. <clears throat> so the question is, what's the mechanism? And the answer is that God put us in charge of the spheres. We are the only nation on earth that can bring down the Kedusha of spheres, the tremendous divine energy, what's called the Ha'ora, the energy or the illumination of the spheres, we, by doing the will of God, can increase that Kedusha, you see, of the spheres. It's like a dial. It's like a, you know, a dial. You can dial up the wattage of a bulb, you see. So it's at a very low point, let's say 100 watts. And by turning the dial, you can bring it up to 1,000, you see. And when you do that, when you increase the wattage, of the uh, divine energy, the spheres, that will change reality, you see. So that's the unique mechanism that we can use. That's called tikkun. However, what happens if we sin? So there the problem is this, is that we also bring down Kiddusha because the acts of man will always influence the spherot. But the problem then is is that the Satan will take from that energy that we bring down and he will take it for himself, you see. 
So either we take it or we energize the Satan. And therein lies an incredible tragedy. Because if we energize the Satan by increasing the power of the Sfirot, right, and we give it to the Satan, he, of course, will use it to diminish our ability, right, because he does not want to give up his kingdom, you see. And as a result of that, he will take that and enormously increase the ability to, of evil to do what it wants to do, and that is to eradicate Kedusha, to destroy holiness. In many ways, that is the gist of the operation of this world. We either do the will of God, and therefore take the energy of the Sfirot, and we apply it to ourselves, and therefore increase holiness, mm -hmm. or we give this holiness, we give it to the Satan. Don't let you hear. Yeah. See? This basically, this basically, this basically is the operation of the entire history of mankind. The Jews are either taking this energy for themselves, thereby increasing holiness and many other things, or giving it to the Satan, thereby increasing evil. You see, and really that's the only way he can increase or be empowered. He has to wait for us. You now understand the fundamental operation of the entire creation and what we have to do, what has to be done, what the Satan tries to do, but it's a back and forth. In many ways, you know, it's interesting. It's like a football game where the whole objective is to grab the football. Each team tries to grab that ball, bring it to its place, right, and throw it over the goal, right? That's the whole point. And each one has a different side. The football team, one side has its goal. The other side has its goal. Each one tries to take this egg, which is interesting, or this football, take it, and score with it. Uh, therefore, life is really a football game, which is interesting. It has the exact same nature and goal of a football game. We both vie for the football, and that football represents, of course, the light of the Sfirot. And whoever gets it will be empowered to do what it wants to do. Uh, therefore, the objective of mankind has been to diminish or to weaken the power of the Satan. And that's really the entire history, really, of the world. And we will begin to understand that this really is what Mitzrayim, or Pesach, is really all about. <clears throat> it was about the Jewish attempt to, that finally culminates, you see, in what? It culminates in the Jews being able to destroy or take the football, so to speak, and throw it over their goal. And this, in many ways, is what Pesach is really all about. Uh, you see, because remember, the struggle of Pesach, or the story of Pesach, is really all about 
the attempt to fulfill the purpose of creation, which is ultimately to get rid of the Zoyamo, one, removing all the Zoyamo, all the Tumor from physical reality, and the second thing, right, is to dematerialize, you see, which is called Zikuch, the material world, and change that into a spiritual world, and then ultimately to change the entire spiritual world into what's called the world of Zulato, the world of other, which is the Neshama. It is the world of the actual Neshama, whatever that is, we don't know. You see, <clears throat> and then the Neshama will rejoin, so to speak, will reattach itself to God, and that's called Vekus, Vekut, and that will go on for all time. You see, that's really what has to happen. And Pesach is really the entire attempt, which was successful to a certain extent at that time. But even though it was not totally successful, it continues, because that is the nature of the struggle. You see, and that will go on until the Messianic era when we will be rid of the Satan and all his worlds. You see, we will be left with a physical reality, which will be very different from the one we are now. And then our job in that reality, the Messianic era, of course, uh, is to retransform the physical world, you see, which will begin in the year 6000 which is the English year 2240, and that will begin and ultimately retransform for 3,000 years and their different levels. And ultimately, in the 9,000th year, that is the beginning of Ulam Habo. And that has been the struggle of mankind and of Jews. Now, what's left is to understand the struggle itself. You see, and... Uh, uh, that I'm going to do with you uh, certainly uh, at the next year. And we are going to see how that struggle continues from <clears throat> Noach to Avram Avinu. And then you have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the Avot. Then, of course, you have Yaakov and Esau. Then you have Yosef, right, in Egypt. Uh, and then you have Moshe Rabbeinu facing Paroi, right? And you'll understand really what the discussion was between Moshe Rabbeinu and Paroi, what the discussion really was. But I'm telling you now what it is. The discussion was, where is the Kedusha? Is the Zoyama over? Or is the Zoyama not over? On the contrary, it is Kedusha that is over. In other words, where's the football? Who's got it? You see? And then in a certain sense, that was the discussion between Paroi and Moshe Rabbeinu. And as we, of course, realized that the football was in our uh, domain, not in his. And because of that, his side, which is the world of the Satan, was bankrupt. Because the Jews had succeeded, totally, almost anyway, in taking out all the sparks of holiness, the light, the energy of the Sfirot, they took it out of Paro, out of Egypt, which had it, you see, 
and it went back into the Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness. And because of that, the Jews left. Because remember, the Jews' mirror, it's a very important idea, the status of the Jew, the position of the Jew, the place of the Jew, mirrors or is an indicator of the status of the Zoyama. It is because it is when the Zoyama is strong, right, then the Jews are under the domination of the Satan, and therefore you're looking at Avdus, slavery, or you're looking at Galut, exile. When the Jews, however, have the Kedusha, when the Satan's Zoyama is depleted or gone, then the Golis ends, you see. So what the, the Jews did, it's two things in a certain sense in Egypt. One is they were able to remove the energy of Egypt, thereby depleting the entire ability of the Satan to exercise control through his Zoyama. It was depleted. That was the first thing. The second thing that happened is because it was depleted, therefore Egypt was destroyed. Because obviously, if Egypt is the bearer of all that energy of the Satan, well, if the Satan is bereft of that Kiddusha, which gives him the energy, then obviously, not only is he on the way out, but the same thing with the nation, which is called the Bechor, you see? So therefore, Egypt is on the way out. That's number two. <clears throat> and number three is that the state, the state of the Jews depends on the state, right, of the Zoyama. If the Zoyama is depleted, guess what? Then the Jews are freed. Because that's exactly what enslaves the Jews, you see. And therefore, they are freed. And once they are freed, of course, then they can begin to uh, mingle with the Kedusha, the holiness. <clears throat> so on a larger scale, that's what you are looking at in Egypt, where the Satan's Zoyama was depleted, you see, and therefore the Satan was facing death. The second thing, right, was that Egypt, which is the bearer, the container of that Kedusha that energizes Satan, was also facing death, destruction. And the third thing is that the chains or the shackles that keep the Jews in Galut or in Avdus is the Zoyama. That's what it is. And if the Zoyama is gone, guess what? Then the chains are removed from the Jews and they can leave. This is essentially, right, the, what happened in Egypt. Except it needs a further understanding of the specifics which I want to go into next week. And you'll understand how each contributed to that, how the Avot contributed to that. You see, how Yaakov and Esav, Yosef, Moshe Rabbeinu, Paroi. Once you understand how each one contributed ultimately to the annihilation or the evaporation or the depletion of the Zayama, then you will understand really what is going on in Egypt, Pesach, and you will also understand why it says, Chayv kol odom, every, in the Agoda, every person has to see himself 
as if he went out of Egypt. Which means that it's not only true of Egypt, it is true of the entire history of the Jew, because when it says that every Jew, it means us, even now, right? Who live in this world, right? 2021, right? That we also have to see ourselves as having been released from Egypt. But the question is, what do we have to do with Egypt? I mean, that happened thousands of years ago. And the answer is because it's the exact same struggle to remove the Zoyama, you see, to get back to a state of pure Geshem and to begin the redemption from there, you see. So therefore, we mirror the exact struggle that they went through, which you now understand very clearly. We mirror that struggle, you see. That's why it says in the Agodah, that each person has to see as if he went out because that is our universal struggle where we try to destroy, to deplete the Zoyama of the Satan, right? We try to deplete it and as a result of that, we can now all leave Kalut because that is the chains that we have. It is the Zoyama that entraps us, that keeps us the prisoner. So we struggle to remove that and once that's removed, then the Jews will not only leave the Golas, far more than that, they will become the greatest nation ever known. Because when the Jew is removed from the Klippa, when the Jew is removed from the Zoyama, then there's nobody that could stand in the same room as the Jew. Because that's the Kedusha that he will have. He will have transferred all the Kedusha that the Satan had, right? And he will be the recipient of that Kedusha. So a Goy will not even be able to stand in the same room as a Jew. That's the distinction. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu, when he came down from Sinai, he had to wear a mask because he couldn't even look at him. Same idea. When the Zoyama is depleted or eradicated, then the Kedusha that is now retransferred back to the Jew, right, enables him to have such an incredible uh, ray of holiness that a guy will not even be able to stand in the same room as a Jew. But that all depends on what we do with the Zoyama, you see. And that's basically what's happened in Mitzrayim, except I want to be very specific next week. Any questions? It's a very fundamental no, 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 no. understanding. What was that? What did you say? I didn't hear you. What I said is a very fundamental understanding of what is going on in the entire operation of creation, as well as what Egypt really represents. It is the universal struggle of the Jew to bring a tikkun to the Bria, to bring a rectification to the entire creation. And Egypt represents the first victory of the Jew. So I have a question. Sure. Um, okay. So if we need to... Um, take the Kedushah for us in order to remove the Zohama. Yes. Does it have to be all the Jews on a, as a whole? Because we have so many Jews that are gone uh, that 
is is the small percentage that's left is that enough to do the tikkun? <clears throat> the answer is yes. <clears throat> Each Jew has a share in the work of what to do, and every Jew has to complete his job, whether it mean initially or Gilgo or suffering or mitzvot, whatever. But ultimately speaking, God makes sure that every Jew will have done his job. Our problem is we don't know what our job is. We don't know which aspect or assignment we have. But ultimately speaking, all the Jews will have done their job just in different ways, <clears throat> you see. So it's got to be all or nothing. You know. So when, so when it's Passover... And we're doing the Seder. How do we know, like, what do we expect? God willing, let's say, um, the Pekidah happens and um, Mashiach is here. What are we supposed to, like, what what should we expect to happen? Like, what's supposed to happen? We hear Shafar, we, someone knocks on our door. Like, what's the thing? Like, what do we... Well, what we're supposed to do, which I was certainly going to next week, is the mitzvot. Because I'm going to explain to you, matzah, chometz, moror, the arba koyseis, koyshelio, and so on. It is those mitzvot that continues the tikkun, and ultimately, they will finish the job. That's exactly why we have those mitzvot, because the job was not finished in the historical event. You see, so therefore, ultimately, that's what we do. And with that, with those mitzvot, and the fact that we refrain from eating chametz, we complete the job. You see. So why do we need to do it twice? Why we? You mean in in chutzlot? Oh, oh, the in Israel they only they only do one seder in Israel. Yes, there's only one seder in Israel. Got it. So they only do it once. Yeah, we do it because we don't know which day. You know, when you count by the, you know, the uh, right. two right. witnesses. Right. So nobody really knows which is the first or the second. <clears throat> so because of a doubt, we do twice. But in Israel, they only do one day. So Eliyahu and Avi could come to both seders, or he would only come to one? How would, how no, one? he'll come to both. He'll come to he will both. come wherever you let him in. And since our minute, what our custom is, he will follow that. You know, right. you will come to both, sure. No so, question about that. So once Mashiach, let's say Eliyahu comes and he announces the Mashiach to us, he tells us who he is or he tells us he is here? Well, he will not announce Mashiach ben Yosef. He will announce Mashiach ben David. So, so then, so most likely he's not coming to this seder. We don't uh, have yet. Yeah, probably not, yeah. But the key is that uh, Mashiach Ben Yosef himself should be removed from the Klippa. Right. That's really what happened with Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, he was removed, you know, by the snare, the Pekida, and he began his mission. You know? When, when was the Pekida? When was the snare? What was the date? Uh, the date was hmm, 2,448. 
No, I mean after like the, the day of the month. What when was that? The like? Well, the Pekidah then was the Hebrew year 2448, and it was on Tetzvah of Nisan. Tetzvah of Nisan. Yeah, it was a year before they got out. That's when it happened. Um, so you never know. The Pekidah could be this Tetzvah next Nisan. week, would Saturday night. Yeah. Would what? it follow the same date? It could be, very well, sure. Yeah. Somebody, whoever he is, can have this incredible, what's called epiphany, tremendous gilui. I mean, you'd never know. But whoever's going to have that may have it, uh, you know, Saturday night, which is the uh, Tezvah of Nisan, sure. Is that Saturday night or Sunday night? Saturday night. It's Tezvah of Nisan. Uh, Shabbat is Erev Pesach. Yeah, sure. And, nope, it's... and okay, let's say he gets this revelation. Ha, ha, are we gonna are we gonna feel it? Are we gonna see it, hear it? What are we? Like? I, I think what's gonna happen is it somehow it will rapidly grow. Because once what, he's released, what? In what way does it rapidly grow? Well, he will be freed. And that is a tremendous event. He will grow in Kedusha, which I would believe is, will be immediately felt slowly around him. And people who see him or meet him, they will become aware, yeah, that there's something different about this person. Because then he will be out of his own klipa. And he will be, he will tap into a klipa of the Yechida, which is the, the, which is the Neshom of the Mashiach. And once he has that, he is not going to be able to hide it. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> you cannot have that type of soul and hide it. It's like if you met Moshe Rabbeinu today in the street, would you know he's Moshe? you would know immediately his Moshe because the Kiddusha that he has would flow out of him and you would be in awe of this person. You may not know why. How are we going to meet him? What was that? How are we going to meet him? I'm sure you will. Yeah? I'm sure you will, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, all of you are special women. The fact that you're so dedicated to learning the ways of God. Uh, that makes all of you very special. You know? So I believe all of you will meet him. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you know? so then it once once he he has the Nishama of the Yahida, is there gonna be Jews that are gonna um like not protest but like go against him saying that uh, it's a conspiracy, that's not him. Well, there may be some type of resistance. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, because the aut- aut- automatically, once he is released, you know, there may be some form of resistance because the Satan is going to go out of his mind. 
Right. You know, but it won't. But it won't succeed. You know, won't it won't succeed? That's the guarantee. <laughs> you know, will not succeed. But there may be some form of resistance. So you us know? as as just like regular <laughs> average people, on Tip Avni's son, if he gets if his klipah gets released, bezat Hashem. We'll just feel a, a, a shift in energy, but we won't actually know anything until later on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I believe that uh, you will feel something in energy. Like I say, because he will now have the afida of the Mashiach. And there's no way that he can conceal that. Just like if you meet a very great tzaddik, there's no way he can conceal who he is in the sense of you can feel there's a certain kedusha that emanates from him. You could feel there's something special. So I believe that he will exhibit that immediately. You know, you may not know what it is, but you're going to know that there's something with this person, something very different than the average person, and that will grow. You know what I mean? Look, it's the greatest moment in creation. When that man is released from his klipa and the yechidah of the Mashiach, which is really the yechidah of other Mauritian, descends, or I should say, connects with this person, that is the greatest moment in creation. That's what the entire creation has been waiting for. Once it happens, it's unstoppable and irreversible because it's not dependent anymore on merit, schut. It is dependent on be'itoi because the final time has arrived and it cannot be pushed off. That's the whole concept of be'itoi in its time. In the last possible time, it will happen and it cannot in any, any way be delayed. You see? And that really is the moment that the whole creation has been waiting for. Everything. <clears throat> you see? Uh, yeah. And then uh, it's just astounding. So you, you, you personally feel that we already um, lived through the straw uh, like cause yes, I, be, I believe what, we're, what we are living through now, because there's a tremendous amount, if you, you know, listen to what goes on in the news, not that I'm saying you should, but if you, you do hear some of this stuff, I mean, we cannot believe the tumor of this world. This world is in the Mem Teshari tumor. This world is headed downward. I mean, they are t- trying to destroy gender i mean it's just beyond belief it's not just a cancel culture which is nonsense it's absolute idiocy you know moronic <clears throat> cancel culture uh, this whole concept of <clears throat> that they're trying to blame everything on race which is ridiculous and so on you know but the hashosa is beyond belief they are acting as if there's no such thing as gender. 
and that anybody who wants can declare himself whatever he wants against his biology. And they're saying that a kid should be able to change his gender. And everybody can get now married to anybody they want. I mean, we've never seen such what's called a hefkerus. We've never seen such an abandonment of, of morality and ethics. Who ever saw it like this? The last time this happened was Sodom or the Mabel. And God destroyed the world. And as I pointed out, He's not destroying the world. He's changing the world. Because this world will no longer improve. It's not going to become more moral. It'll deteriorate. So therefore, it's over, basically. So therefore, what we are going through is the equivalent of straw by Parai, where it's getting worse and worse and worse. And COVID was the beginning of that. COVID was the beginning of tremendous punishment to the entire world, you see. And it just continues uh, in America, all over the world, with Iran and China. You know, it'll just get worse and worse. And finally, when it will have done its job, right, uh, then that's it. Then the Mashiach will come and begin to reverse the tremendous downsliding of the entire world. You see. <coughs> but I believe it's happening now. Because we are in the Memteshari Tuma. Definitely. You see? Yep. <coughs> so you just gotta hang in there. We're holding on tight, Rabbi. Good. Just hold on because, like they say, remember, they compared the entire entry of the redemption, the Gula, Shiach, to Hevle Leida, a woman giving birth. And always get, I mean, you, you know better, I don't know, but, you know, when you give birth, I imagine right before the child comes out, it must be very, very difficult. You know, all of you can testify to that. And that's always the worst, you know. In fact, that's why a woman has to bring kobonus. Because Chazal say at that point in time, she swears that she's not having any more kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why she has to bring kinam. Yeah, because she made a, I mean, she doesn't verbally scream out, that's it, you know. But apparently she clearly says that, that I, I can't do this, this is crazy. You know, I'm not going to have any more kids. And because of that, she has to bring, uh, you know, Kobonis. You know, and so on. Yuledis. That's the whole concept of a Yuledis, uh, bringing Kobonis. You see? Uh, because of that. So we are really later, heavily later. We are witnessing at the end. And at the end, like I say, it gets worse, much worse. You know? But Rabbi, you know what I see like? I don't know if you see it too, but I feel like there's like a separation between people that like, people are living on alternate uh, like universes. Like it's either a half are with Emunah Bitachon and like, and not so engulfed in it. And then the others that are just like uh, engulfed in fear and and just stuck. And it's like you could be living in the same world, 
but just in, on a different, like, plane, mental plane. Yeah. <clears throat> That's probably what would happen also in Mitzrayim by the Yamsuf. There were people that were going crazy, and they thought it was all over. Then there were probably people who had a Muna and say, it doesn't make sense. I mean, the Bansham brought us out of Egypt. He's not going to kill us. He's not going to let the Egyptians do. Or what was the whole point of the ten makas? So you had the same thing, you know. I mean, that itself is an Isayan. Each person has to grab on sort of like the bottom of the barrel of their amuna, and just believe that, you know, God is not going to abandon the Jews, you see, and he's going to save them. In a certain sense, it's called birur. Birur means to clarify who is with God, even in the most difficult moments, and who is not with God. Like Moshe Rabbeinu said, Mila Shem <clears throat> You know, who is with God, let him come to me. You know, everybody has to make a certain choice at that mo- moment in time. And that moment is a very difficult test. And we are in that test where people look around and say, you know, I don't believe what's happening out in the world. So they have to make a decision. Do they want to hold on to their moon and be talking? Or do they want to give up and, you know, just let it all go? That's called beer. You know, God does that at certain times to see who is going to be loyal and who will be disloyal. You see? <clears throat> In a certain sense, that is what God wants. He wants loyalty. You see? Look, he wants like Nachshon ben Aminodav. Everybody thought they were going to die. Nachshon jumped into the yam. And when the waters reached up to his nostrils, right, all of a sudden the sea split. It it needed the demonstration of absolute loyalty for God to say, oh, you see, one Jew believes in me, therefore I will save the whole nation. So in a certain sense, yes, it has to get so dark that God is looking for somebody who will say, it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to be loyal to God, even though it looks terrible and looks like it's impossible for the redemption to happen. And guess what? That's when the redemption comes, when it looks like it's impossible, because God wants to test the emuna and bitochen, the faith and trust and the loyalty of the Jewish people. And he needs that. He needs that in that sense. He needs that merit to bring the redemption. So that's really what you have to do. No matter how dark it gets, you know. Yeah, what are you going to say? What do we do if we see others that aren't, that are like lost in their emunah? We try to make it, show them the, the, the right way and the positive way, but it just doesn't resonate with them. It just they're too stuck. Well, what, <clears throat> you try your best, and that's it. What can you do? You know, you can't force them. They have to try to see the light, and hopefully they can. Right. Look, there are people that are going to be able to see, people that are not going to be able to see. That's the way it is. You yeah. know, you just, you just have to be among those people that will hold on. Yeah. 